This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. to the Electric Sheep Film Show on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and the track you've just heard was Termast by Imaran, giving you perhaps a clue that world cinema will be one of the themes of this evening's show. 
The other theme of this evening's show is how films are presented in galleries and how this changes the viewer's apprehension of them. In the second half of tonight's show, I'm talking to director Kanan Arunasalam about his short films that are currently screening in the University of Brighton Gallery and at the Tetley Gallery in Leeds. In Kerosene, Paper and the Tent, Arunasalam looks at life for ordinary people in Sri Lanka years after the Civil War has caused shortages of such products as kerosene and paper, and how the wives and mothers of the disappeared undertake a daily protest in a tent opposite a government building. However, to start off with, I'm talking to Nico Marzano, film programmer and cinema curator at the Institute of Contemporary Arts in London. In today's episode, we're discussing the upcoming festival Frames of Representation, which features the UK premieres of 12 full-length features and six shorts over nine days at the ICA. Almost all of the screenings come with a Q&A with the director, and in between the screenings there are also talks and seminars looking at cinema in all its guises between documentary and fiction filmmaking under the broader theme of deframing, which embraces thoughts of cultural complexity, a resistance against dominant narratives, and puts an emphasis on decategorization of the films being shown. I'm also talking to Nico about how Frames of Representation works as part of the ICA's ongoing remit as an arts organisation, and as such, how it interacts with the current exhibition on at the ICA, in which Scottish artist Morag Kyle is exhibiting site-specific sculpture, video installation, and interactive pieces that look at modern culture, technology, video, and voyeurism. So next month is this year's Frames of Representation Festival at the ICA, and I believe it's been running since 2015. Have you been involved with it since its beginning? Uh, yes, so the Films of Representation Film Festival uh, started as project, as a laboratory in 2015. You were correct. It was funded by myself. Uh, it was uh, a project that was looking at supporting uh, cinema in the field of the cinema of the real. The festival was one of the permutations of, of this project. Mm. At the first edition of the festival took place at the ICA in 2016 uh, as an ICA film festival. The festival every year is curated by myself with uh, a team uh, in mind, a team that doesn't want to forcefully connect to all the films or mm. all the activities in the festival, but it's simply an opportunity to uh, trigger like you know, reflections around the films that then uh, are part of the selection. In the first year, we uh, addressed notions of new peripheries, with the idea of basically bringing back in the center of the conversation peripheries that could be from a ge- geographical point of view, but also from uh, a social, political, anthropological point of view. Before continuing with the, the other teams at this year's teams, I must say something like, you know, quite fundamental in the genesis of this project, which is the fact that uh, Frames Representation as project and then therefore as festival is principally uh, looking at aesthetics and politics in the case of the filmmaker, of the auteurs behind the films and in the cinematic language 
overall. So there is always like, you know, for me, there is always a, a very uh, strong, solid, a direct connection between the way the filmmaker decides to engage with the subject matters, the way the filmmaker decides to look at these stories, and the underlying political ambitions of these projects. Mm. So as we said, like, you know, this conversation, this dialogue on aesthetics and politics was seen through the lens of the team New Peripheral in 2016. Then in 2017, we embraced concepts of uh, labor uh, through the team working. So labor as a concept for uh, workers' exploitations, but also for uh, independent production, for the way that artists try to work outside of the mainstream and with, with what support. These, these were the underlying thoughts and concepts behind the 2017 festival. Mm. And last year, 2018, we addressed notions of landscape. Landscape, yes, from an ecological and environmental point of view, but also equally importantly uh, from uh, sound, border uh, point of view, and, and the idea that we as human beings create the landscape within we live and therefore like you know we don't need to we can't think of landscape just something that is given to us by nature but there is like you know a sort of confronting what we are doing there was a sort of confronting what we are doing on this planet right now on different levels and this year we are basically going back looking back at at the roots of what frames or presentation always aimed to 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 uh, to be, which which is a, a place, a community, uh, in this case a festival, in the case of April, where we look at cinema without looking at films through categories, without looking at films through a straightforward uh, division between what might be fiction, what might be non-fiction, hmm. but more um, uh, at films that look at fluidity as a way of being, at films that look at um, upsetting the traditional Latino structures of uh, cinema and, 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 and politics, but also cinema that doesn't want to offer any answer, doesn't want to be vertical in any way, but you know tries to embrace an horizontal way of uh, creating this dialogue. In fact, for example, if you look at the opening night of this year, this edition, which will be the fourth edition of the festival, we will have Roberto Minervini, uh, world premiere of the director's cut of the film that he presented in uh, Venice in September, uh, what we're going to do when the world is on fire, uh, which is a film about New Orleans, about black communities, about the new Black Panthers. Mm. And as per Roberto's usual like, you know, approach to cinema, it's a film that has been made in conversation with uh, his subjects. The, the theme is deframing this year, mm. deframing in the concept of, of course, also you know, uh, connecting with the idea of frames, of representation, but deframing the idea of decategorizing cinema, or at least aiming at taking away all the labels that are usually like, you know, connected with the idea of genre, with the idea of, uh, uh, of documentary. In fact, more important than frames of representation is a project that looks at, at the scene of the real. And, and, and therefore, like, you know, there are only just documentaries part of the selection, but there are also fictions, but nonetheless that engage with, uh, with, with, with reality. Mm. 
Well, so I, I suppose each year as you're putting the festival together, it's not so much that you start curating it with an idea of what the films are going to represent. It's more when you start gathering films together, perhaps each year different themes start to emerge because of what filmmakers are addressing at that point in time. Correct, absolutely. It's like, you know, a very um, natural, organic process in the sense that uh, DC, I mean, in, in the previous couple of years, there were all, all these at least four or five films that uh, together uh, gave me like, you know, the idea for, for the overall theme. But in this edition in particular, for example, I operated on a different like, you know, register, which was, uh, it's something that was staying with me, you know, the idea of uh, fully tackling, fully addressing the core principles of what films representation as festival want to stand for. Mm. Because in this idea of defraining, there is uh, an aesthetical formal ambition, but there is also a political ambition. Because, you know, if you think about how nowadays, like, you know, these are divisions between us and them, between Western and, like, you know, Eastern societies, between us and the Global South. And the idea of the festival is to bring everybody together, to basically talk on a horizontal level and to try to offer uh, an alternative, an alternative for uh, formal experimentation, but that's an alternative for uh, political uh, experimentation. Therefore, the festival, for example, and every night we had this conversation on for uh, an hour. We have the director, we invite each filmmaker of each of the films that are selected to be with us for at least three, four days. So mm. they not only can uh, engage with their works on that given night, but they can also stay at the ATA for a few days to take part in other peer screening and mm. exchange. We have lunches together, dinners together every day. Because I wanted Frames to be a place where we could build, like, you know, a community, something that could offer a different space than what you would find around festivals. And also the fact that it's only 18 films gives us the chance to somehow curate, nurture a certain discourse, no? It's not that you wanted film festivals where scopes and other goals are on the agenda. Mm. You know, for, for me, what it matters is, like, you know, the dialogue around the films, the exchange around the films. And therefore, the theme, yes, like, you know, it can organically comes from the films. In the case of this year, it's something that I felt as a need to fully disclose what Frames was standing for, is standing for, and that's why we are putting uh, black and white, uh, this, this idea of deframing. Mm. When it comes to curating the festival each year, how do you go about finding the films? Is it a mixture of travelling to other film festivals and see what's being presented and then artists themselves uh, getting in touch with you and asking whether their film might be appropriate for the season? Yes, absolutely. The, um, I, I, you know, as part of my role at the ICA in charge of the film program and film distribution, I travel like you know a lot during the year because uh, our mandate is the place that uh, needs to support independent cinema. Uh, but real independent cinema you know, has, like, you know, uh, sometimes, like, you know, we deal directly with the, the filmmakers themselves. So we're talking about films that don't even have a sales agent, forget about the distribution in the UK. So therefore, there is a range of film festivals that attend each year that give me the chance to uh, be in touch with the world themselves. 
there is also an important channel now that frames is growing year after year and uh, more filmmakers know about the festival which is either films from the filmmakers themselves or recommendations from the artists filmmakers themselves who were part of frames in previous years and sometimes we also get like you know emails from uh, producers and distributors that you know try to, to pitch uh, the works that perhaps being presented in Venice, Berlin or Cannes and, and trying to find like you know find out uh, if uh, the theme of the festival or in general like you know the film might be a, a fit for, for, for the lineup. Mm. In terms of how the festival fits within the ICA's remit, it's obviously quite a unique institution in that you have a an art exhibition that's on uh, for a certain number of weeks. You have regular cinema screenings of perhaps films that might be popular in terms of the art house circuit, but then you include festivals like this one. How do you juggle those aspects of wanting to put on films that are perhaps a bit more challenging than other venues thinking about what audiences want from an art house cinema and also about how the films you show create a dialogue with the reputation of the institution as an art gallery? Well, I, I think uh, it has to do with the, the, the conversation that as curators, mm. uh, we all have at the ICA constantly on, on a weekly basis uh, on our like, you know, area of interest, our area of research, and therefore, then, like, you know, quite naturally, you will find, like, you know, important, solid, strong internet connection between live performance, the talks, the, at the film program. Uh, for example, last year, um, during film's representation, alongside, we were presenting uh, uh, the exhibition uh, Forensic Architecture that then ended up being mm. nominated for the Turner Prize. And again, if you look closely at Forensic Architecture, you will see like, you know, how Forensic Architecture, both in terms of language and political approach to their investigations, uh, they really do uh, um, a similar discourse than what we are doing with, with frames, with the films that we present uh, at frames representation. At frames representation, it's only like, you know, a moment during the mm. year for the ICF program, because it's been three years that we uh, felt the desire to revitalize the distribution arm of the ICU, the ICU historically look back, has always been the place, very important place and space for uh, Asian cinema, for example, mm. uh, to distribute titles that otherwise would not have found, like, you know, presence uh, in, in UK. And we are basically relaunching these, uh, also this arm of our operations. Uh, last year, we distributed like 13 films. Mm. Uh, this year, in January, we distributed uh, Hell County this morning, this evening by Ramir Ross, that ended up being nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary. Mm. Uh, and we have other films that we will be distributing throughout 2019. So uh, all these like films, all these works, works that uh, resonate with with the rest of the program uh, would not be otherwise. Mm. Well, I mean, so it's interesting that last year's A Frames of Representation was about landscape and coincided with an exhibition about forensic architecture, which is, I guess, an investigation of part of the landscape. Uh, This year, the festival coincides 
or it comes just after an exhibition by Moira Keel, who is an artist yes. who works with video and site specific sculpture. Correct. So, yes. you know, it kind of leads the gallery visitor to perhaps think there is some kind of connection between these two events, even if it was unintentional within the framing of the ICA's uh, programme. I mean, when you look at Morag's work, she seems to be investigating how video is remediated through new technology and video in different environments. And actually, Absolutely. those seem to be sorts of themes that have entered this year's programme with your reframing theme. Absolutely. And if you look more closely at uh, specific films that will feature as part of the Frames Representation 2019 lineup, you will see, for example, the Fresh Tiger Award at the Rotterdam International Film Festival in January, which is a film that uh, speaks to these like, you know, concerns of how we, as part of this society, uh, use social media to interact with, uh, with, with other people and to create our own, uh, uh, somehow, persona through this social media. And not only from the perspective of people using social media, in, the, in this case of Present Perfect, uh, streaming live, whatever they are doing, working, just uh, walking, or, or just dancing, but they organically through the film also became uh, they meet each other within the film to discuss, like you know, these uh, the, these approach, these like you know, uh, in China uh, taking place in China right now in current time uh, in China. So, mm. uh, or for example, normal, which is again using like you know, uh, moving image to um, address concepts of gender or in, in Italian society in in, in this case. Uh, approaches also our idea of what normal uh, is is somehow like you know very personal because you know, at the end of the day something which I really believe a lot that I, was also one of the uh, main concepts that uh, pushed me to to to, to create this uh, moment this project as frames is that uh, reality really is an opinion it's a manufactured opinion. And I want to enter this reality through the opinion, through the point of view, through different cases, at different like you know stances, and uh, of different filmmakers. So that's what we try to do, like you know, uh, each time, mm. even like you know, putting films that uh, can share uh, conflicting views. No, because the idea is that we don't want just support a thesis to hand over a thesis. But the idea is to start departing from a certain point of view, from a certain like, you know, angle, and try to uh, create like, you know, a conversation that can be in different directions. So um, I hope that uh, this is like, you know, something that is explaining more or less clearly like, you know, what, what we are trying to do with films representation. Mm, definitely. And also amongst the programme, obviously you're bringing relatively new filmmakers as well as more experienced ones to the ICA. Sure. There's a seminar looking at the output of the Wojt Film School in association with the Polish Institute. Is this kind of continuing a trend that each year you found a different country in order to look at the young filmmakers from that part of the world? Uh, yes, uh, partially, but also because, like, you know, um, I'm inspired by certain, like, you know, 
communities mm. that do a certain work. And in the case of the Bush Film School, they were like, you know, pivotal uh, in the formation of incredible filmmakers that uh, end up working in fiction mainly, but they all started like, you know, uh, from non-fiction. And I'm thinking of Kislowski, for example. Mm. We all know Kislowski for... Uh, Decalogue for three colors, but if you look at the body of work of Gislowski before entering the so-called fictionalized sphere, he made like you know incredible documentaries, and uh, and he was like you know uh, uh, coming from there, from from Bouge School, and, mm-hmm. and overall it's also an homage at that incredible uh, school of non-fiction of cinema in general, which is Poland. Poland is a country that offers us every year, each year. Uh, incredible voices, and it was a way to to look into, like you know, the education of of Polish filmmakers. Also, because we, every we pretty much show at least a film from from Poland as part of the selection. Mm. Uh, that happens just like you know, as coincidence somehow, but it's also a testament to uh, the strength of, of of that school when it comes to the cinema of the real. But also another like you know important aspect of frame representation is to uh, unearth certain uh, projects of independent productions, independent filmmakers that work completely situated outside the mainstream mm. and, and with incredible success, like, you know, very prolific and very creative and we, with a cinema that uh, really stands for, uh, for investigation, for, for, uh, for rigorous research. And I'm referring, for example, to the work of Terra Trem Film Collective that we allied last year, the work of La Termita Films, which is a um, Girona-based uh, uh, film collective production company that we will uh, invite for a workshop uh, during uh, Frames this year. And also because uh, one of the members of La Termita Films, Isaki Lacuesta, is the director of uh, Between Two Waters, which is uh, an incredible film that focused on marginalized communities in the uh, north of Spain and again works with that idea of collaboration between mm. filmmakers and the subjects that the filmmakers uh, is engaging with. Frames of Representation runs at the ICA in London from the 12th of April to the 20th. Premieres of film screening at the festival include What Are You Gonna Do When the World's on Fire, Honeyland, Normal, Beauty Lives in Freedom, The Disappeared, Our Time, Between Two Waters, and many more. You can find out more about Frames of Representation by going to www.ica.art-films-for19. Morag Keel's solo show is also on display at the ICA, until the 14th of April, and so if you go along to Frames of Representation, you can see both during the first two days of the festival. In the second half of today's show, I'm talking to Canon Arunasalam about his films The Tent, Kerosene and Paper, which are showing in the University of Brighton galleries in the centre of Brighton and at the Tetley Gallery in Leeds. However, before that, we'll have some more music. All three of today's music choices are by comic book creator Kieran Gillen and taken from his roundup of the best tracks of 2018. With the films being discussed in this evening's show, operating somewhere between the global south and the more affluent western world, appropriately, the song with. Will- 
just heard was Middle America by Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks. In the second half of today's show, I'm talking to British Sri Lankan filmmaker Kanan Arunasalam about his films The Tent, Kerosene and Paper, which are being screened in the University of Brighton galleries on Grand Parade in Central Brighton and at the Tetley Gallery in Leeds. Kerosene and paper show how life in Sri Lanka after the Civil War led to shortages of various materials, including those that titled these two short films, leading respectively to innovation in the taxi business and newspaper industry, when taxi drivers had to keep old British cars running with few parts and even less petrol and diesel, and the newspaper industry when it had no newsprint to print the paper on. The tent, which is the main focus of the filmmakers' displays in these two venues, is a longer piece working as a split-screen presentation, focusing on the lives of a trio of women occupying a tent opposite a government building as their long protest trying to find out what happened to their missing loved ones 
unfolds over weeks and days, interrupted by brief moments of activity when the media pays attention on certain days when they are joined by other protesters holding photographs of the missing and disappeared. So your film The Tent and uh, two of your earlier films, Kerosene and Paper, are currently showing in the gallery at the University of Brighton. And I believe their presentation at the moment is a co-production with the Tetley Gallery in Leeds? That's right. How did that come about, that this collaboration and this gallery presentation was a new way for audiences to come across your work? Um, I, I guess the way it came about was that, that this collaboration also includes a partner in Colombo called the Colombo Art Biennale. Mm. Um, and the collaboration is uh, is the culmination of, a, I think, several years of um, this partnership, this network, which is um, called the New North South. Mm. And it connects galleries and biennales in the north of England with South Asian biennales um, and, and Colombo Art Biennale being one of them. Um, that doesn't explain why Brighton <laughs> uh, is, is in there. Um, the, the reason why Brighton um, is part of the co-commission is um, because Ben, ben Roberts, who's the, who's the director of the, uh, the, the University of Brighton Gallery, um, I think he, he saw my work at a similar biennale. It's actually the, the Dhaka Art Summit hmm. last year. And uh, he actually saw kerosene and paper and he liked them and he um, put forward my names, uh, put forward my name to, to, the, um, to the network. Um, and, 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 and I think after that, they approached me and asked, um, you know, did I have any ideas um, for a um, a new piece of work, mm. um, and and uh, fortunately, luckily for me, I did have this idea um, swilling around in my head for a few months, but didn't really um, have a, a a platform or, or an avenue to take it forwards, and so it just came at the right time, um, and and so it was very fortuitous. Mm. Well, and you're a filmmaker who is done sort of documentary films from all over the world, Cuba, Myanmar, but as someone who's also of Sri Lankan heritage, obviously making films about Sri Lanka is something that's very important to you. And so with this trilogy of films, it's giving audiences a new way of looking at the Sri Lankan civil war in the terms of how it affects ordinary people. I, I think that's fair. Um, the... This year, actually, um, uh, 2019, uh, will mark 10 years Mm. since the end of the war. Um, I grew up in England um, as part, I guess, of of the large Tamil diaspora um, that lives there, um, but moved back to Sri Lanka, having been born in in Jaffna, where uh, the, the, the films that the kerosene and paper are, 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 are based. Um, and I moved back to Sri Lanka um, in 2004, 2005, um, and have made Sri Lanka and Colombo my home. Um, and as a result, I've begun to engage with the stories here in a very different way. Mm. Um, and over the years have, uh, like kerosene and paper, but other shorts, um, told stories about uh, what's happening here um, initially through my own 
um, perspective, my own experience um, moving back here and and facing some of the the difficult things that 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 one faces um, as a as a Tamil um, mm. in in Sri Lanka. Um, obviously, not to the same extent as some of the characters in in my documentaries, um, but eventually, having got some of those stories off my chest began to tell other people's stories. Um, And actually the, the tent, the story behind the tent came about whilst working on a much longer documentary film, which I'm still working on. Um, And the, uh, this, that story is, is, is about a a woman who's, who's looking for a missing husband. Mm. It's a similar theme to the focus of the tent itself. Um, but the woman that's central to this film is, has uh, found a different way to find answers. She's gone through the courts. Um, she's taken her case to Geneva before the UN, UN Human Rights Council. So a very different way to the women who are protesting peacefully, um, located opposite a, a government building in the, in the north of Sri Lanka. Um, but equally compelling for me. Um, but of course, their story for me needed a, a different way of of capturing their story. And and the commission with with Brighton and 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 uh, the Tetley, um, I, I saw that the space of the the art, the contemporary art gallery space. Um, telling it through a film installation seemed mm. a better fit than a you know, feature um, documentary, mm. um, which, which I, I, I like to add that I'm still working on <laughs> and it's still, still ongoing. Um, but this, this, this was um, something that is, uh, you know, for me, the, the women who are, who are protesting, and as I said, it's, it's 10 years since the end of the war, Mm. Um, ten years since many of the women have um, their husbands and sons um, have had have, have disappeared, mm. um, and yet they've had no answers um, in these last ten years. Despite um, a new government coming in in 2015 that's come in and promised answers, um, and yet even you know that was in 2015, and, and in the last three years. There's been very little movement in terms of giving them answers to what happened to husbands, sons, daughters. Mm, indeed. You spoke about how films might be presented in an art gallery, and certainly the way that Tent is presented in the University of Brighton gallery space is really interesting, that the the screening room, for want of a better phrase, is within a kind of wooden... I like to call it, I like to call it a box. Yeah, OK, exactly. the wooden box, the wooden box <laughs> yeah, that, that the films fine. are projected in, are quite a, a small claustrophobic space that you enter through kind of black curtains and, you know, find a seat, and at most it would probably sit eight supermodels, but probably six normal-sized people. But it's quite an intimate space. And it's interesting that when you're sitting in that space watching the tent, you're aware of the slight claustrophobia, you're aware that it's a space that would be perhaps warmer than a normal cinema. And indeed, I went along on Saturday, and I guess that's not 
that long after the space was first constructed. So there was also still the smell of sawdust in the air, which again gave it a kind of entirely sensorial quality that you wouldn't get in a normal screening room. And that seems to work very well with the subject matter that you see the women in the tent dealing with the dust by wetting it down every day. There's obviously the sound of the street outside. There's It's a bigger space, the tent, but it's still relatively claustrophobic. So the space that's presented on the screen and then the space that the audience are watching it within have a really interesting dialogue. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you picked up a lot of those elements. Um, I, I have to say uh, um, I, I deferred a lot to Ben, who mm. um, c- c- created these, uh, the idea of these, these boxes. Um, obviously, with the space that's the South Gallery in, in Brighton, it comes with its own challenges. <laughs> um, I wanted uh, definitely something that was immersive, um, and and somehow heightened, um, and rather than you know, recreate the interior of a of a of a you know of a tent, um, the this, this, the claustrophobic phobic um, space, I think it does lend itself to a much more heightened um, emotional experience. Um, the positioning of of the camera, um, I think, also um, is interesting because you are watching a lot of the the scenes unfold from from the back of the te- back back of the tent mm. um, and I think that also is interesting where you position yourself um, on these on these two benches in, in a very very small space um, interestingly this is a, a second iteration of of presenting the film which is a, a dual projection and that mm. in itself creates an interesting perspective where the the seam, if you like, between the two screens um, is the corner of 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 uh, one's one one's uh, corner of the box. Mm. Um, in in Leeds um, at the Tetley, we decided to do it in a different way again because the space lent itself to a much bigger um, screen, um, and you know it, it it's um, perhaps twice as large. At the at the uh, at the gallery in Leeds at the Tetley, mm. um, and it's not it's not um, at ninety degrees. I think that's right uh, to each to each other, but um, just a, a you know a large wall that was constructed f- for this purpose. Um, and I think there are two different experiences, um, and 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 I think equally the one in Leeds um, is also immersive in a, in a very different way. It has less claustrophobia. Um, and it doesn't have this, as, as as you picked up, and I noticed that too. The um, the, the the smell of the um, the wood, mm. um, and uh, and I think the heat as well. And I'm and I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to be when when we move into. I think it's on till till uh, mid May, yeah. the first week of May. <laughs> It'll get a little, little <laughs> bit hotter hotter in there. But that's kind um, of apt, you know. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, I think I think. Um, the the whole point of of I think um, doing a film for a, an art space for me was trying to capture this this um, uh, feeling of of, of women uh, who are protesting the sort of uh, their lives are sort of stuck in time really mm. um, and fr- frozen in time and also trying to create something that was immersive and emotional and I think it does lend itself to different 
iterations in terms of how the films are presented. Um, between the two, really, um, out of a simplicity, we did a screening in Colombo at um, a symposium that, that brought together this new North-South. Um, and just given the uh, complexity of trying to sync two films, it, it seems in the old days where you'd have to kind of press play at the same mm. time. Um, we've now got technology that seamlessly, um, I think, I think you know, the invigilators will, will just um, be able to turn up that morning and just press play on three machines and it just loops seamlessly mm. and syncs together, which is great. Um, I'm trying to bring the film to Jaffna um, in um, June, July, um, and, and initially have a private screening um, for the for the for the um, as many of the women who are featured in the film, but others who mm. are also um, affected by this terrible um, issue of enforced disappearance, mm. and and to bring them to a, a space where we can screen again with with two projectors, and if failing which, having some sort of split screen idea with a single projector but again it may be a, a different iteration hmm. um but but of course what i've been really blessed with is is having the opportunity of working with um two different directors from from the leads and, and ben from brighton and and having them uh, and collaborator and it's a different collaborative um process where we we look at the space and we look at how we can present it. I mean, it's a very different thing to a documentary filmmaker. I mean, where mm. you're, you know, either broadcast or um, a festival uh, will will play your film just also just on that evening or mm. broadcast that one time or um, or online where it's okay, it's on for longer, but it really is in those few hours um, when it launches that you get uh, the audience. It's a very different process, and I and I'm. Um, feel very fortunate to be able to have two parallel exhibitions on where it's on for you know three to four months mm. um and uh, and i think it'll be a different uh, uh you know different experience with different people mm. well and presumably as someone whose work um hasn't been shown so much in the gallery space before that new environment must have opened up all sorts of new possibilities because certainly watching the tent when you sit in the space most of the time you've got this colour footage in front of you of the women going about their everyday lives and it's almost about the, the banality and the tedium in a way of waiting for some kind of response from the government about what happened to the missing people. But then from time to time there are these dramatic black and white flashbacks on the, um, the screen that's adjacent to the one that you might normally be looking at. And that works as a really powerful way of bringing in a flashback that instead of it being the same screen, it's suddenly a brand new space. And because it's not on all the time, all of a sudden your attention is shifted to a different area within kind of the cinematic space. And that's something that you wouldn't normally be accustomed to in any other kind of screening environment. I think I think that's that's right. I mean, for me, the juxtaposition of of these two um, different days, um, and, and and I think the quiet day is actually almost two days or a day and a half, mm. um, and it you know it opens on one evening, and then you follow two 
uh, women, and then there's there's a, a third woman um, who joins them during the course of the next day and into the evening. Um, that for me is what I was really interested in. Um, it um, is trying to speak to really uh, the, the media's um, media sort of fascination with with with, with drama um, on these certain. Uh, anniversary days or media days when large crowds um, will join uh, the women, uh, the media also visit on those particular days. And there's mm. this um, relationship that they have um, with the women where one is, there's an expectation that there will be some something to film or photograph. Um, and uh, the women... Um, I think then sort of deliver on that, and it and and I think um, that was that was also an interesting dynamic for me. Um, but through this intermittent but um, re- repeated coverage by the media, and, and that includes the international media mm. as well, of these of these anniversary days, of these media days, um, where there are crowds. Um, they uh, that for me I, I became desensitized to the plight of these women. Um, I, I found that these this repeated um, idea of, of women holding a photograph of, of their loved ones, which initially will will shock um, people, um, became you know I became uh, desensitized to those. Um, and so for me, when I went and met the women, and it took a long period of time, many months for me to gain their trust, to be able to film them on these quiet days because they weren't used to anybody filming on, on those days or even interested, I don't think, really. They found it very odd that I wanted <laughs> to uh, film them on these quiet days when, when I tried to explain to them that what they're going through when it is just two two or three women and having to cope um, and uh, they are burdensome days um, but also of course these long hours of, of waiting um, and where not much is said in during the daytime um, and they are preparing perhaps and, and I was fortunate enough to capture them preparing for this big event that was coming so they were preparing the floor mm. um, so that more people could sort of sit on these um, on the mud floor um, without the dust um, and it was just this one one woman, very frail, who was doing this on her own. Um, and I thought, look, if we can, if I can capture this, it really, um, I think, is going to convey the humanity of it. I found very much that the media, uh, the drama uh, on these media days, um, I didn't see it cutting through um, mm. across across communities in Sri Lanka. Hmm. Um, I, I've, I found that um, interviews that were given um, to the media are done in Tamil. Um, it's a language that the South don't speak. Um, and they, okay, the, 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 the idea of holding a, a, a photo of, of, of your loved one who's disappeared is a very strong image. Um, but I found it was it become a sort of trope, and and I think people shut off should began to shut off shut off from that. Hmm. Um, and so I wanted something that was quiet um, and captured the waiting, and and I 
was then, uh, and then of course I found that in the evenings I anticipated that there were going to be conversations, but I didn't expect that the conversations that the women were having was were going to be so connected to their loss. Mm. Um, it, it was, you know, two days um, that I filmed them actually um, for the for the actual film itself. I prepared them over um, you know, the months that I got to know them, but we only filmed properly uh, for two days. And there's a few reasons for that. One of them is obviously, you know, the, having a camera in, in the tent is is intrusive. Um, but 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 also the the women. Uh, and again, this is another reason why on these quiet days. Um, there is this sense of um, insecurity because the women are being routinely surveilled mm. by military intelligence. Um, people in the north, the military in the north, are really trying to put anybody, you know, anybody who's trying to do a protest or um, capture something that's um, uh, uh, connected to the end of the war or disappearances and put them off doing that. Mm. Um, and and so it is, you know, through surveillance or questioning or um, and in, in in many instances um, assaults as well that there have been assaults on, mm. on 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 a number of women over the over the last years. Um, but for me, um, to to capture the the waiting and as mm. as you found um, that was something that's that's uh, uh, communicated in this, but also. As you said, the the the, the, the mundane um, existence, if you like, on these quiet days, the the where where nothing really happens, um, and to juxtapose that with the drama of the media days, mm. um, and how but it's also, very brief yeah. as well. You know those bursts of activity on the media days, which I think is really interesting. That on the the second screen, it'll just be grey for like five minutes and then you'll have a short amount of activity and then it'll go just to another gray screen until there's another burst of activity and that kind of represents the duration of how much it takes up their time as well that mostly they're just sitting and waiting and then there are these bursts of activity and then it's back to sitting and waiting exactly for, for me the idea at the sort of conception um, stage was that these two screens and, and what's shown on these two screens are, are almost competing for your attention mm. um, and and for me yes there are these bursts of activity but ultimately what I'm trying to say is in a sense it is on these quieter days that's that 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 their struggle is mm. is is more compelling um, and I, and I found the way that Ben has as I mentioned, um, made it even more, um, uh, in a sense, the, the by putting these putting the two screens um, in the corner um, at a sort of you know, I think ninety degrees to mm. each other. That that um, you know you don't you you know you 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 have to shift your gaze mm. um, to to the other screen, and I'm wondering whether through through watching this the second time round, whether people are more likely uh, to look at um, the, the woman who's just waiting, <laughs> looking out onto the street um, on an evening, 
Uh, and that was something that, uh, that, that I found interesting and, and wanted to explore. Mm. Well, and also you mentioned how they're living their everyday lives under constant surveillance. But also the film kind of suggests that's something they've just gotten used to because by putting the camera in their space, it's also surveilling them. But they get on with their everyday activities without looking at the camera. It's just there as a presence in the room and they ignore it. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that you're picking up picking up on these things. Um, obviously, I, I knew that they they were being um, watched by the military intelligence, and I wanted to perhaps give that impression that, that that the camera is is in the room, and it's and and I wanted the audience to also maybe feel a little awkward and 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 some discomfort by watching them. Um, and there are moments where the women do look at the camera, and and I think that's that's interesting. Um, most of the time, we let the cameras record without um, being there, being there ourselves, being there ourselves. But mm. um, in, 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 in because you know you've got to change cards, you've got to change batteries, um, and we are filming really for hours um, <laughs> continuously, um, and then of course. Uh, of course, the sound is being recorded. There is also a, a boom. Um, there is a microphone that you can't see, but mm. it's positioned um, on the ceiling of the of the tent, um, and that manages to capture fairly decent sound without, again, you know, it being intrusive and without, you know, uh, miking up uh, mm. women, which would have been impossible and defeats the whole purpose. So it was striking the right balance between getting a strong image, a strong vantage point, um, and, but also, as you um, saw, uh, speaking to the, to the surveillance. Um, what was interesting for me is that the conversations that the women were having towards the end of the evening, um, I understand Tamil, and, and I um, made the initial cuts in terms of what was interesting for me, and, and you know, in a sense, I'm also falling into the trap of, of, of trying to uh, capture the drama of, of the evening in terms of what they're saying, and and and, and therefore, you know, I um, that that was interesting for me in the process as well of, of editing it. Um, but when I sent these cuts to my translator, whose whose Tamil is is better than mine, and I needed uh, somebody to subtitle mm. um, what they. Were, were saying to each other in those uh, in those moments of reflective conversation, he made the point that you know, and I asked him, look, do they do they know that the camera is is in the room? Do they, are they saying these things, knowing that and perhaps for the camera, uh, which you would have obviously when you point a, a microphone um, to someone, and and you know, those are the some of the scenes that you see juxtaposed in the in the media days. Um, and he he said, "Look, they've completely forgotten that the camera is there. It, mm. You know, the, the the ordinary way that they're speaking to each other, um, the language that they're using, the the colloquial um, uh, center, you know, the phrases. It, it, it's clear that they're just speaking to each other. And so it it occurred to me that these, you know, I filmed them on these two days. Um, you know, maybe in the recesses of their mind, they 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 were kind of aware." Um, but it also occurs to me that these are, they're having these conversations, um, you know, often 
um, and and they and 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 the disappeared family members are on their minds constantly. Mm. You know, they they are they are really trapped um, in this room, in this tent, um, in the inside of this tent, where there are photographs, um, as you will see at the, at the end of the film, um, mm. around um, three walls um, of their of their loved ones and others uh, and other family and, and other uh, families of the disappeared um, loved ones as well. Um, and ultimately, the tent is, 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 a, is a metaphor for, for that world that these women inhabit. Um, and and they're, just, they're, they're trapped um, between grief and hope mm. and, and they are unable to move on. Um, and, and I just felt that you know, this is this is a, 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 in terms of the you know what we talked about in terms of the art space where you're not looking at a beginning, middle, and end, mm. which I'm looking I'm looking for as a documentary <laughs> filmmaker, um, which you know reality doesn't always unfold like that. Even though as documentary filmmakers, you're trying to to to, to do that, and I'm you know again. Uh, was re- very very um, I was reflecting on that in the in the edit um, c- considering this came out of of me working on longer documentary that that I'm I'm waiting for the ending for <laughs> um, in a, in in a sense um, you know was was I was very much at the forefront of my mind and then of course this idea that these women aren't even conscious of the camera anymore mm. um, and they are. You know, you you are really capturing. Um, I don't know. That's close to um, their 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 real conversations. Mm. Um, you know, as close as you can get. I think. Indeed, the other two films that are showing in the gallery, Kerosene and Paper, are presented in a similar way to the dual screen presentation of the tent except in a far more traditional way, that kerosene shows on one screen, and then when that ends, paper begins on the screen adjacent to it, and vice versa. So yes. when you're watching the tent, the audience probably isn't going to move from bench to bench. They're just going to move their heads. But yes. if there's only a couple of people in the screening room, like there was uh, on Saturday when I saw the film, yes. they're yes. probably going to physically move from seat to seat so that they yes. don't have to turn their body through 90 degrees. Um, well, exactly. Uh, and I, th- I thought that's quite an interesting way of creating a kind of a physical response to a film as well, in that it reminded yes. me of the new kind of theatrical experience that's becoming quite popular over the last few years, where a um, a play unfolds in a physical space, say in a, in a house or a warehouse. And, you know, in a traditional play, different backdrops would come down to suggest a different scene. But in these kind of physical presentations of plays, you move from room to room to see different vignettes. And that felt a little bit like this presentation. I mean, presumably, the way that paper and kerosene is presented is because you and Ben thought it might be nice to have a second box to enter, and the presentation in that box reflects the presentation in the other box. I think I think you're right. Um, there was a, there's a symmetry also um, in having the boxes, uh, the two boxes there, um, and I think also the context in terms of um, what um, paper and kerosene um, brings to um, what is essentially a um, 
you know, not that not at the beginning of the of the war, but um, about you know a few a few years into it. I mean, the tent and kerosene is is a retrospective, but it's looking at the 1990s mm. um, and at the early 1990s. The war in Sri Lanka began in 83, um, and the tent is 10 years on from the end of the war in 2009. So that's a uh, a, a you know a, a large uh, long passage of time uh, between the between the two um and i and 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 i thought you know uh, that would be an interesting um to present it would be interesting to present both of those um i hadn't um um thought too much about um the audience um moving um <laughs> from 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 one bench to the other um, to to get the best um, uh, spot and viewing mm. point, I, I, you know, I, it'll be it'll be interesting. The, both of these films are also being uh, shown at the Tetley, mm. and again, you know, they're two separate rooms, although they're very very uh, uh, linked. Um, they they speak to the same themes. They are shot in a very similar style, uh, you know, very different style to the tent. Um, and I think again that. Um, they, they've, they've shown in two different rooms at the Tetley, uh, in your more traditional mm. projector on a screen, um, sort of uh, way. Um, and so, a, a, again, with with um, with the Brighton with the Brighton galleries, I mean, they, again, you know, if, if that's a different experience of the viewer, that that will be, you know, for me, that's interesting, and mm. I'd love to hear more more feedback on that. Well, I, I guess what I was getting at is that kind of the stories you present in um, Kerosene and Paper are stories that are kind of happening adjacent to each other. They're different people's experiences in Sri Lanka that have a kind of similarity in the sense that they're dealing with shortages, but they're not narratives that necessarily overlap in the real world. And so by presenting them in slightly different spaces in the gallery, you're representing how they're also stories that happen next to each other in the real world, but don't actually overlap. That's 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 a very interesting observation. <laughs> um, the word fetish is probably too strong, but I was interested in both of these short films. How there are moments where, as a filmmaker, you seem to be really fascinated by the minutiae of uh, machinery, and so there are close-ups of really nice-looking cogs and wires and doodars because I don't know <laughs> names for machinery. Yes, J- just in terms of them actually being interesting aesthetic objects. Yes, um, the, the the wonderful thing from a from a, a filmmaker's point of view or or a cinematographer's point of view is, given how um, the the war unfolded, the north of Sri Lanka, Jaffna, which is where these two shorts are are based, kerosene and paper, and also for me, that's that's where I was born, and and so it has a, a, a I have a very emo- strong emotional connection uh, to 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 the place. Um, what happened was that for the longest, for a very long period, um, the, the the place was cut off from from the south, um, and this is you know beyond the um, uh, the scarcity, b- beyond the embargoes into the. Um, late 1990s into the 2000s and and there's this one huge trunk road uh, called the A9 uh, that connects Colombo and the south to to Jaffna and and it uh, travels along um, a, a strait um, and because of the way uh, the war, war un, unfolded and 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 um, sometimes the, the the Tamil Tigers the uh, the, the rebel force 
um, took took Jaffna over and, and then vice versa, that road would be um, demolished or um, things wouldn't wouldn't be able to travel along there. And so you had this situation in Jaffna, which was just cut off um, from the rest of the island. And it was, you know, had this sort of stuck in timeness to it, which obviously meant I'm talking retrospectively of a period of time that was, I mean, at the time I, sh- I shot that in 2010. Hmm. Um, so, you know, 20 years earlier, but because of the way it still looked and felt like that, um, you still had these old uh, machines, um, both in the, the printing presses, but also these cars mm. were still being driven around by taxi drivers um, uh, in Jaffna. It, interestingly, it, you know, if you go there now, and of course, you know, it's 10 years at the end of the war, and there's been a lot more um, exchange um, since then, you, you, you wouldn't see as many um, Morris Miners on the road. <laughs> you wouldn't see, um, you know, definitely the, 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 the newspapers have, have uh, moved on as well. I mean, they're still sort of presses, but they're not as um, archaic looking as, as the ones in the film. Uh, which are very, very close to what they were using that you know would have been using you know in the '90s. So for me, that was amazing to be you know still be able to capture that um, and give that um, um, to to convey that feeling. Um, whilst you know it's it's really um, it, it's not it's not a story that it's not the kind of approach to my filmmaking that I that I'm that I work on these days. I mean, even even the documentary filmmaking, I'm. Uh, I don't like retrospective stories yeah. as much. Um, I, 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 but but it, you know, it's a very much you know a narrative, and someone is narrating something, um, and they're talking about the past. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know if I if I revisited that. You know, you, you know, it would be impossible to tell that story now in a sense that it would be impossible to to shoot a lot lot of that. Um, that footage, those, those scenes don't exist anymore. Mm. Um, the mechanics, which is featured, is now, um, uh, you know, it's almost no longer there. You know, it is there, but it's, you know, it isn't, it isn't this space that I had uh, when, I, when I had to film um, at the time. Mm. Um, but for me, what those close-ups that you mentioned, um, not just necessarily um, the aesthetic of the machinery, but really the close-up of the hands mm. um, and people working on, on that. I, I use that really as sort of this idea of innovation and inventiveness and, and really, um, you know, the people sort of scratching their heads, you know, uh, in, one, in one scene where they're trying to... Um, you know, at some point in the 90s, in the early 90s, you know, is it after weeks or after months or maybe six months, they realize that we are not going to get any more fuel. Mm. Um, and so we need to think about how we can adapt to this scarcity and, and, and what is it around us in our environment. And, and you know, it just spoke so much to, to the resilience of, ordinary people who who really are sort of stuck between these warring factions the ltt uh the tamil tigers on the one hand and 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 the military of the government of sri lanka um and for me that that was that was fascinating there there were so many other stories of resilience and uh resistance 
Um, and I think paper is a story of resi- resilience, but it's also a story of resistance. Mm. Um, caught, caught up in the embargoes was was not just fuel and medicines and food items, but also newsprint. Mm. Um, and that was really to um, shut down uh, the, the free free media in the north. Um, and 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 we're seeing that in very different ways um, today. Um, you know, in the way that young Tamil journalists. Um, are intimidated, are assaulted, are questioned, um, and and you know, back in the late '90s, it was let's not give them newsprint, um, mm. and yet this amazing uh, universal capacity of humanity to to resist that, and and just to find and look around and look in the shops and ask people um, like what else can we use to 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 print these. Um, one-page, three-page <laughs> newspapers on, um, as well as you know these these other stories. There's there's a, there's a story of this. They 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 the end the newspaper that um, the subject matter of paper uh, did print detailed instructions on how to build your own home lamp, and they called it the jam bottle lamp, <laughs> um, and it was a very simple contraption. Everybody in the house had some sort of jam bottle or some sort of bottle that they could then put a little wick in. And with a li- really a few drops of kerosene, they were able to light up certain parts of their home. Um, mm. And they called it the jam bottle jet lamp. And, and that's another thing that I came across whilst filming this. It didn't come into the films, but um, they talked about that as a way of, you know, for young students um, you know, who, are, who are studying for their O-levels were able to still study during these periods of embargo. Um, and it was just uh, amazing. Mm. Canon Arunasalam's films, The Tent, Kerosene and Paper, are being screened on a loop in the University of Brighton Gallery on Grand Parade in the centre of Brighton, Tuesday to Saturday from 10am to 5pm. And you can find more information about the University of Brighton by going to www.brighton.ac.uk. And for a more specific link to the University Gallery, please have a look on our website, www.panelborders.wordpress.com. The tent is also on display at the Tetley Gallery until the 2nd of June in a more traditional screening environment. And you can find more information about this Leeds-based gallery by going to thetetley.org. For more information about Canon Arunasalam's work, please go to canonarunasalam.com. That's K-A-N-N-A-N-A-R-U-N-S-A-L-A-M.com. And you can also find a variety of his films on Vimeo. The Electric Sheep Film Show was presented, edited, and recorded by Alex Fitch. You can find all our previous episodes at www panelborders.wordpress.com and we'll be back in two months time to play out our third piece of music chosen as before by comic book creator kieran gillen is la luz by kikada thanks for listening
This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.